Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've reached the HyperGuy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. I have a wonderful, wonderful guest. Uh, his name is Anthony Lucero. Anthony Lucero is a director, a writer, producer, visual effects man, a documentarian. He's, he's done just about everything in the film industry. Um, and uh, we're going to start off by asking Anthony. First of all, Anthony, thank you so, so much for, for being here today. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, I think I've wanted you when I when I first thought about this podcast, you were one of the first people I was thinking about because, you know, as as someone that was born and raised in Oakland, you're such a success story. And um, and I want to start. I'll just get right into it. Uh, can you please tell me where you're born and raised? And uh, yeah. And uh, how was what was life like growing up in Oakland? Uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, born and raised uh, on 40. 7th Ave, our, our families grew up uh, next to each other, Martin. Um, and I don't know what, what you would call it. Would you call it uh, lower class? Would you? I mean, we, where we, we lived in Oakland, it was like, it was a great street, but, you know, around us was, was pretty, uh, you know, it was pretty, pretty tough hood that we lived in. But uh, yeah, grew up in Oakland and uh, went to school there, uh, Catholic school, St. Elizabeth, and went to San Francisco State University. And uh, was pretty much a Bay Area boy uh, growing up, and, uh, and and worked most of my life in San Francisco. Worked for Industrial Light and Magic. Uh, worked in commercials. Was a commercial editor, and then eventually I, I had to make the move to to LA, and uh, that's where I'm at now. I'm actually in Burbank at the moment. So so let me ask you a question. So um, going back to that that the, the first part of your life, which is, you know growing up growing up in oakland and um and i i think we both love the fact that we grew up in oakland because it, it taught us so much about life for sure and uh one of the questions i have for you is how was it growing up you you had a very big family um what was it like growing up in oakland and how was your life in school in elementary school and what kind of challenges did you have um, when you were growing up Growing up in Oakland, it's funny because I, I love my roots. I love where I came from. Uh, there's nothing I would change about that. And uh, it made me who I am today. But uh, looking back on it, yeah, like I said, it was it was a rough neighborhood. And, you know, you didn't venture down. You know, we lived on 47th Avenue. and uh, But you wouldn't venture down to like 48th or the next block down, which was uh, the creek area. It was uh, kind of scary. So... You know, we just kind of stayed in our in our little uh, compound <laughs> right there in Oakland. But um, so, but it never felt, uh, you know, like when you. I've heard people say when you. A lot of people say when they grow up poor, they don't know they're poor. And uh, you know, and I wouldn't say that we were poor. We had food. We had three square meals a day, and we never went to bed hungry or anything like that. But looking back on our 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 life there, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty pretty tough. Um, but you know, we both, we came from great families that loved us and I had great brothers and sisters. And, and so it was a fantastic time living there on 47th. I, I loved it. And we had a lot of friends and, um, so yeah, we, it, it was, it was a great time. Um, how was, how was it? Let me ask you a question. How was it in terms of, um, mentors i mean what was your relationship with your mother and father growing up and your relationship with your 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 brothers and sisters uh mom and dad you know it's it's funny uh they were happy like my mom my, i lost my dad when i was 10 but uh up until then you know my 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 dad never pushed me to like uh to be anything like an astronaut or anything like that i, I think my parents were just happy if we stayed out of prison um, and just got a job that that's it. That, that was, um, that's as far as you could reach from uh, where I came from. Uh, anything beyond that, it's like, no, they, they didn't have any big scope as far as going to college or, uh, investing your money, nothing like that. No, it's like you made money and you put it under your mattress and that's it. And you just work. So, uh, of course for my mom, I think a bonus would be if I would have been a priest. I think that's like the, <laughs> she would have loved that. But other than that, no, she, she never pushed me to do anything in life. Um, and she is, I love my mother. She's amazing. The most amazing person on this earth. 
And, uh, and you know, I, I do love that about her. If I were a factory worker and all I did was, you know, push one button all day, she would tell people Anthony is the best button pusher around. He is amazing at his job. So, so uh, uh, you know, the, the no pressure from my mom as far as, uh, you know, any life aspirations or, so, or having a great career. But, uh, yeah. So she Which is good and bad. It's so, good and bad. Yeah, so, so the expectations, and I think that's this challenge for a lot of people is that, when we, when you grow up and when you grow up and you don't have a lot of the financial means to to move up and you don't have a lot of mentors, the expectation and the bar is really low. It's really and, low. And yes. our parent our parents don't know any different because that's how they grew up. They grew up very hardworking and you know basically just trying to to make it day to day, especially when you're raising a large family. And so what what's um, kind of values did your mom and dad instill in you when you were young uh the core values were well we were catholic we were uh, raised catholic so um that, that was you know that that a lot of value systems in that but uh i think you know we were just told uh, you never steal never lie <laughs> the ten commandments and uh, be a good person and we were never bullies we were never we would always try to look out for our neighbor so i i think uh and and my mom and dad instilled that in us and take care of other people be good be good people and my parents were good people and my dad was a great person and my mom is just the most uh amazing woman and and you just learn from your parents you learn from what they do in life and and they're just very good people and uh and be, yeah. be, before you lost your dad, and I'm going to ask you about that a little bit, is I remember your dad was such a wonderful person. He would be driving down the block, and he'd have a big station wagon, and he'd drive down the block, and literally as he's driving down the block, and your dad wasn't a rich person. Your dad would be driving up down the block, and he'd say, hey, you know what? And he would literally ask neighbor kids, hey, do you want to go to the A's game? And he would, everybody would jump in the car. And your dad would have blankets for everybody. And he'd take us, uh, we'd go sit in the bleachers at an open A's game. And he didn't, he didn't have a lot of money, but he would pay and bring all the neighborhood kids to the games. And what do you remember of your father growing up? The, the, that's true. Um, you know, it's so funny. My dad, well, he loved animals. So... I remember one time we were in Jack London Square and there was this, uh, it was me and my dad. We would just, I, I, we'd be on the weekend. I'd, I'd cruise around with him on the weekends and we'd go visit family. And I remember this one intersection in Jack London Square. There was this little, it was a mutt poodle. Uh, and he was just in the middle of this intersection running back and forth and cars were zooming back and, you know, almost running this dog over. And my dad just put that car and put a station wagon in park and he, ran out there and chased this dog down in the middle of the intersection. What's his life while these cars are zooming by? And, you know, I was like nine years old or so. And he like scooped this little dog up and brought it back into the car. And eventually he gave it to his sister, my auntie, to, to raise. But uh, <laughs> it was a cute dog and she wanted it. So so she kept it. But th those type of values, like you didn't have to tell me you, you have to be kind to animals because he just did it and he would just i would just watch him and he would do that with he had a there was a stray bird that had a broken wing and he brought it in the shoebox into the house and nursed it back to to health and he would do those things and it's so funny i have a son now and he's uh going to be turning two in a few months and i'm instilling the same thing in him we found it i literally found a cricket this morning in our kitchen and uh it was it was uh, trapped in there and i grabbed it and cupped it and showed it to him and I took it outside a little cricket and I released the cricket and he was watching it and he's like cricket cricket and uh, but I think those those uh, those little gestures uh, are profound as far as like how you treat life and how you treat the smallest of, of animals the smallest of, of creatures on this earth and that's how my father was and I'm I it's like I'm just doing it with my son just by habit and yeah, um, yeah. That's amazing. I and I can you tell me what was it like? I know your mom, she raised uh she ended up raising most of you. Um 
your dad lost his life tragically and um i know he was he was he was murdered basically and um how was that for your family and you and your transition wise and did, what how, what did you do to get through that because you know when i think about it even today i mean it that was one of the most difficult things our neighborhood went through what did you as a family because i can tell you right now your family and your mom man every time I've, i i don't think i've ever seen your mom not smile or have a have be positive she's one of the most positive people i've ever met how did your family get through that and how did you deal with that how did you cope with that uh, I was I was ten when that happened, um, and this is what I was saying. Like it was a rough neighborhood, and it was a rough neighborhood. I mean, my father was shot and killed. Um, the this, the quick story is that he was uh, walking our dog at six in the morning before work, and this person was across the street, and he was getting his car repossessed. And the tow truck driver was there, and they were hitching the car up, and this guy didn't want his car repossessed and he went into the house and came out with a gun and began firing at this tow truck driver. And my father was across the street and got hit by the bullets, but got hit uh, a couple times. So yeah, he, um, he, he, he died, uh, you know, in our, in our uh, dining room right there. So eventually, I mean, he, he was taken to the hospital, but he collapsed right there in the dining room. So that was, um, it's something that, of course, lives with you. Like I said, I was 10 years old, and I witnessed mm -hmm. this, and I was there with my father. Um, and it's to this day, you never forget it. Around October or so, it's uh, mm -hmm. the, those, those vibes start to come back, and you remember that morning. But um, but it, it's something that fractured our family. It um, You know, some people were driven to... Uh, alcohol, mostly alcohol in our family to cope. And I could see, I could see why uh, as I became an adult, as a kid, I didn't understand it. It's like, why is everybody drinking? And, and it's stupid. Um, but as you become an adult, you understand like, well, that's how they, that's the only way they had to numb uh, their feelings. There was no, you know, there's no other way to cope with it back then. We were, we were in Oakland in the eighties and there was no therapy or uh, anything like that. So, alcohol was the way to do it and then how, how did you how did you uh you did you didn't go down that road and i'm interesting i know like i said your mom's a great role model what gave you that strength to do so well in school and stay so focused uh it it's the typical what doesn't kill you makes you stronger um and that that was you know that happened with with me it just made me very uh, headstrong at the time uh and, and i learned from my family's mistakes so yes they were drinking and doing drugs and smoking pot and all that i just i was the youngest so i could look at everybody and say like what you guys are doing this is a big mistake this is stupid what you guys are doing to, to numb yourselves and I hated it. I hated alcohol. I hated drugs when I was uh, a teen uh, because I could see what it was doing to my family. And uh, what's funny is my family was still loving. They were still a great family. My brothers and sisters and everybody was just still very tight bond. Uh, but, you know, there was a bit of substance abuse going on uh, that my, he eventually kicked it, you know, but which I'm very happy and proud of. But, um, I mean, for me, I just, uh, it just made me very determined. And I had, I was kind of, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say angry, but I was, um, it just sort of pushed me to just keep going. And some people, it just breaks them and, and they just curl up into a ball and they just can't, can't deal with it. And, and it has influenced the rest of my life where it's made me a very strong person where, uh, a lot of trash, a lot of tragedies come into my life, and it's like I'm able to to handle it pretty well uh, because of that. But yeah, I you know, like I said, I, through my twenties, and I just did not uh, did not drink, did not smoke, did not do anything. Um, of course, in my thirties, and I was like, all right, I'll have a little <laughs> bit of wine and whatever. So I came back a little bit, but but uh, but I was happy to to stay away from all and, that. And then, when did you want to? When did you decide that you wanted to be a filmmaker? I mean. Somebody growing up in your situation, what like you said, you, you grew up with hardly any expectations of just getting it, just getting a job and 
yeah. that's about it. It was no expectations of going to college. There was no expectations of any of that. So what made you, when you finished high school or even start pondering, when did you start thinking about a, a career in film? That, that's a funny thing because growing up in Oakland, nobody, and when I was in high school, I, I would talk about it. I would, I would talk about film and nobody knew anything about that. It was just so foreign. And then I, I looked and uh, I saw in these catalogs back then that there was film school. I was like, film school? That sounds amazing. That sounds like so much fun. I want to do film school. But I, would, I was enamored with Star Wars and uh, all the films of Spielberg and Lucas and John Landis and all those. And I, I would just, and I, I would, it's, it's funny because me and my dad, we would watch the making of things. We'd watch the making of Star Wars and he would show me, he's like, see the, uh, that spaceship, with, which was the Millennium Falcon. He'd say they have it on a green screen of some sort. And he would just try to explain it. He didn't know what was going on, but we would watch these behind the scenes together. And I would look and I would say like, well, there's people working on those. There's crew people. I wonder if, is that a job? And so that would get the wheels spinning in high school. And, and I would start thinking about film school. And, and all I wanted to do was work in visual effects. I wanted to make uh, spaceships fly and, and uh, you know, make things explode. Um, and so I started to do theater in high school. I, I started to create some of the sets uh, for our plays. And I thought, well, uh, maybe I should go into that. that. That seems like a legitimate job just to, to work in theater. And I was also a still photographer back then, uh, which was also weird because nobody had cameras back in the 80s. I had a, an SLR, 35 millimeter camera, and I used to like snap photos, just take, take pictures for the, the school newspaper. And uh, so my love of photography and my love for theater, I think those two just sort of, uh, they morphed into each other and that was that was uh, motion picture. So yeah, I, it's just something I always wanted to do. Always wanted to work in movies, always. I just was enamored with movies, loved movies, loved the making of movies. And so I, I went to film school at San Francisco State. Now, did you did you go directly from high school to SF State, and do you go did you go directly to film school, or did you have to take other classes, or what did you do? No, I went to I went to the Peralta Community College because uh, I, I look you know I had zero money uh, going uh, you know outside of after high school, so it just seemed daunting to go to a four year college, whether it was a university or state college and spend that amount of money for your first two years. And I just didn't have that money. My mom wasn't gonna pay for it. She didn't have any money for college. So I just thought it seemed like a smart choice. Let's go to community college. It's basically free to do that for the first two years. And I had other friends in high school, then they, they were going off to you know USC and other universities. And I just thought that seems like a stupid idea. Why waste that much money for the first two years? So, um, and I, I had no mentors, zero mentor, mentors back then, uh, zero guidance. So I would just, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, just go to libraries and just try to figure out like, well, how do, what, what college should I go to? And and uh, it, so, yeah, I just went to a JC for two years and uh, which I think is amazing. I, I think it's just a, a smart choice for, for a, lot of, a lot of students and then transferred to San Francisco State and, into their film department. And uh, at the time, you had to make a film in order to get into their film department and to, in order to get accepted. And so I made a, a short film and got into their, um, it was their core film department there at San Francisco State. They only took 12 students at the time to be in their core film division. And so I got accepted and was was in that for two years. It was fantastic. I loved it. I mean, who, who wouldn't love going to school for film, right? <laughs> it, 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 it sounds like it's a really small department. Um, and did it did it give you the foundation and give you the skills to to be a director? And did they get what kind of things did they teach you there? Did you focus on one thing or they, they had you do everything? It, it sets a foundation for filmmaking because you bop around and do different tasks. So you'll be a writer, you'll be a director, you'll be a cinematographer, you'll be a gaffer, grip. And they kind of have you, you circulate um, in between those different jobs. And then you kind of figure out like, I like this. I like being a director of photography. I think it's kind of fun. So it does set the foundation for uh, a career in, in filmmaking. 
It, but it's very old school. I, I actually went to film school where we worked with 16 millimeter film, which doesn't really exist much anymore. It's all video. So the, the tools that I learned are gone. The, everything that I learned about film, about uh, lighting for film and getting an exposure and loading a film camera, all that is gone. And that's stuff I learned in film school. But uh, I don't know whether it was important or not to go to film school. For me, it was because I, I needed structure. I needed, um, yeah, I, I, I needed that structure in my life. Of You do this, you go to school, you learn these tasks, and then you go do it. But some people don't need film school. Some people could just make a film on their own with their camera with their with their iPhone and and make a film you know but uh, back then I needed a little bit more structure and, and film school was helpful for me and when you were going through that when you were going through film school did were you getting support from people and when you told people hey I want to be a director I want to do <laughs> films um, were people supportive of you because most of your friends are from Oakland <laughs> yeah all <laughs> so, right so I know I mean I have a lot of uh, very very successful friends from Oakland but a lot of my friends in Oakland probably wouldn't know anything about film. And I don't know if they would be supporting me <laughs> with that dream or not. No, they didn't understand it. Nobody understood film. And some people still don't understand film in where, where I come from. But no, no, no. I, I, um, I wouldn't say I got, uh, I didn't get support, but I didn't have people say that's stupid either. They, were, they just didn't understand it because most of my friends, they wanted to make money and they wanted to go into, you know, being a, a driver for FedEx and things like that. Like the very blue collar, get a paycheck five days a week. And that's what you do in life. That is what you do. And I just didn't, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want, you know, the same job, just a blue collar job every day. I want to do something different. I wanted to make a mark in life. And, and multiple reasons why I love filmmaking. I love storytelling, but that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to tell stories and I wanted an audience to see it and experience it the way that I experienced movies growing up, the way I would sit in a theater and watch Raiders of the Lost Ark and just cheer and just be so happy. I wanted to do that. I wanted to like create something for the screen and have people cheer and enjoy that. And uh, people just didn't understand yeah, so, but 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 I did get support. Like if, if I made short films back then, people would say, like, yeah, I'll come stand in. I'll if you need to film in a restaurant, I'll I'll be a patron and sit there. Like I, I did get support that way from from friends and family. And and let me ask you this question. Okay, so you finished you finished your university education, and I have a I mean I have a question. I think most people say, and I and I've heard this you know, um, many many times. I have friends that are in the USC film film school as well, and where do you start? Like when you, when you, when you graduated, I mean, did you ask yourself now, what do I do? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now what do I do? So uh, back then we didn't have the internet. This was uh, 1995 when I graduated. And so, you know, you would just go through the phone book and you would start looking for advertising agencies. You know, I, I was in San Francisco, so there wasn't any film production back then, but there was commercials back then. So uh, ended up working in commercials as an editor, but I do feel if I were to do it all over again, uh, it's important to go to either a USC, UCLA, or NYU places where there's an industry, film industry, and it's also a great way. Uh, the the other students that you make friends with, they're going to work in the industry and and they're going to get you jobs. So I think it's very important to try to get into those uh, type of of film schools. But again, I wanted to work, my, my goal in life was to work at Industrial Light and Magic. They had done all the visual effects for E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Wars. So what, yeah. so what did you, so let me ask you this. So yes. I find this interesting. Like, so when you went to, when you got your first job doing a commercial, did you know what you were doing? Were you like, <laughs> oh my God, how did I get this? Like, how do you, how do you even present yourself and say, hey, you know what? Just got out of film school. What do I do? Well, yeah. I, yeah. Well, you, you end up, uh, in, in this industry, you end up working as a PA, a production assistant. That is your first job in, in the industry. So I worked as a PA. I worked uh, on a feature film uh, in San Francisco. What, what, does that, what does that mean? Remember, you're, you're speaking to uh, the audience that has no idea. So you're using the acronyms. We, we got the production assistant. What, what does that mean? 
it's uh, you basically you you do everything uh, that nobody else wants to do. So you get coffee, you're sweeping up, you just whatever somebody needs, the production assistant does it. Uh, go, uh, you know, this, this thing broke, go take care of it and go meet this person. They'll fix it. So you're just kind of a, a runner and you just, whatever the production needs, whatever the producers need, you're the person and you take care of it. So that's, um, yeah, that's the start of your career as a production assistant. So, uh, I, I did that. I, I worked as a production assistant for a feature film and you're just kind of on a feature film. You're there in production. And it's like I said, any disaster happens, you're there to help clean it up. So I did that. And then I started working in, what was funny is I also worked in for the Oakland Police Department. I was a police cadet there. And but I was more interested in doing the training videos for the Oakland Police Department. So I, I used to help out, uh, Ron Jones was his name. And I used to help him out. I would do all of the training videos with him because I, it's funny, I worked at the Oakland Police Department and I wanted to be a police officer, but I also loved filmmaking. So I ended up sort of transitioning into their video department there, which was just one person and me. And we would go and we would shoot all the training videos, all the, you know, the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the ones that we did, but we, uh, but I, and then I eventually learned how to edit, learned how to shoot there at the Oakland Police Department. And what's funny is with that experience of editing, and again, back then there was wasn't very many places that had editing equipment, but the Oakland Police Department did. They have these VHS decks that I could edit on, and so I would learn from there too. And I would learn because I went to film school. We didn't have a whole lot of video equipment, but there at the Oakland Police Department, they did have video equipment, so I was able to edit there. And and uh, with with that experience, I was able to go into commercials and in, in the worked in San Francisco, and they were looking for a video editor or just somebody that again a production assistant to help in the video department. And that's kind of, it's a sort of leapfrog from the Oakland Police Department. I was able to work in commercials and, and start that. And that's how I started to, to work as an editor uh, and, and had that career for many years. So, so how did you get in, how did you get your first big paid job? Uh, I know <laughs> yeah. the production assistants probably don't pay that great um, because entry level. And I really appreciate the part, the, 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 <clears throat> I really appreciate that you said that you, you basically have to, um, sometimes intern or start from the bottom yes. just to just to get the experience to get in a door. And a lot of times people don't want to do that because they say, well, I'm not getting paid. What am I getting out of this? But you're getting that experience and you're getting those connections. Yes. Um, and so what was the first big job that you had? I know I want to get into exactly how you how did you get a job? At, I, I believe you worked at uh, Lucasfilm. Um, how did you get into the, how did you get into these jobs? So so. Uh... I ended up working for a commercial house in San Francisco and that was as, as an intern. And yes, I do feel it's important to intern, uh, just work for free and get the experience and get to know people. Like just do it when you're young, just like, why not do that? So I did that and I was an intern at a commercial house. So there was this new editing system called the Avid back then, Avid Editing System. And this place that I worked for, they bought one. It was like a $150,000 system that they bought. It was crazy. And it was sitting there and there was no editor to use it. Nobody knew how to use it. They would hire editors and there wasn't very many Avid editors back then. So there was a school in San Francisco and I paid for it myself to go to school. I was like, well, I'm gonna learn that because I think that's the future it's going to be, the future is going to be editing on a computer. I could see that. And so I went to school and I, I just paid to take this uh, four-day course, I think. It was a four or five-day course and uh, went to San Francisco, did it. And then uh, ironically enough, so uh, then I knew the basics of how to use an Avid. So then it was just one day uh, they had this edit that they had. It was at Ketchum Advertising and I'm working there as an intern. And they said they just need this one thing then they're trying they're on the phone trying to call find editors they couldn't find anything and i could hear this commotion and i said well well what is it what do you what do you need to do they're like well we just need to do this simple edit this one cut and i said well i think i know how to do that and they're like get in the seat go we need somebody right now so i i literally <laughs> sat in that hot seat with the producers and the writers there in the room and i just made this one simple edit just cut it 
and exported it and they were very happy and from that moment on i just became their in-house commercial editor and that started my career in commercial editing for a while and i and i did that but um yeah the, the, so from there there again there wasn't very many avid editors back then and so i was one of them in san francisco and industrial light and magic they were looking for avid editors and uh, i i just applied there i didn't know anybody there at industrial light and magic but that was the one place i wanted to work since I was a child, it's like I want to work in industrial light and magic, and I would, they were they were always on my radar, and I saw that one listing for an avid editor, and I was like, that's it, and so I I applied and I got in and started working there, and that was that was the dream, <laughs> the dream job. And then and then what kind of films did you work on there? Oh gosh, uh, tons. I, I'd have to look at my resume, but you know, like Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Harry Potter, The Avengers. Uh, films like that, uh, you, yeah, it was quite a quite a long list of of feature films. But yeah, it's um, yeah. And, and you and you got to also work on Star Wars films, which was which is one of your like your dreams when you were a kid, right? It was one of my dreams. It's so funny when I interviewed at Industrial Light and Magic. Yes, Star Wars was that was my life surrounded around Star Wars, and so I, I go into Industrial Light and Magic for an interview. And I'd heard that they were filming these new Star Wars films. George Lucas was now shooting these new these uh, prequels. So I had the tour and they brought me into the machine room and they had all the video equipment. And there was this one little monitor off to the side that was playing and it was a lightsaber fight. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I've never, I have not seen a lightsaber fight since Return of the Jedi. And this is it. This is, they're, they're making the film right now. And I was just like, I was, gonna lose it during the interview but yeah i could see that there was uh this production footage of a lightsaber fight and i thought oh my god i gotta like i gotta get this this job i gotta work here and and i did yeah and ended up working on episode uh one and two not so much on three but ended up working on the first two films uh and it was a lot of fun it was just a uh, a great time to be there yeah well that must have been interesting because when you were a kid that was your dream yes so you had that's a that was one of your milestones and you got your milestone and that's pretty amazing and so you got how many star wars films did you get to work on uh worked on two two star wars films yes and were you uh, did you have a lot of stress were you did you put yourself under a lot of stress because you wanted to be perfect because you've always uh -huh. wanted to work on star wars uh, I mean, I think that's just how I am naturally no matter what the job is I try to do it perfectly no matter it doesn't matter if it's a minuscule film or what it does or documentary or commercial or something it, I, I work the same I, I work hard I, I push hard I work fast and uh, I do the best job I can so it doesn't matter what the project is or who I'm working for but yeah I mean but but, but also those jobs there's so many there's hundreds of people that work on these films I was just one of hundreds of people that work on it so it's not like my job was any more important you know but I was still happy just to be a crew member on it. Just that's all I wanted to do. But you know, as you uh, as you reach the next thing in life, you know, you get kind of like, well, what else is there? I've, I've hit this now. What what do I do? And that's exactly how I felt at ILM. It's like, well, now I've reached this goal in my life. Uh, where do I go from here? And I was like 28 or something. So I thought uh, there's there's has to be something else something else and i the funny thing is like a lot of these visual effect films that i would work on you you'd just you'd work tirelessly on them and the film would come out and the film wouldn't do so well it's like oh god it looks like they spent most of the time on visual effects and they didn't spend a lot of time on story so i started to think well i i need to go back to my roots as to why i went to film school and that was i i liked being a storyteller i liked would be fun to be a director, but it's something that I never thought of. It's like, no, there's no way I could ever be a director. That's just not possible. But I started to, to really think about it. So I started to write short stories uh, in my 20s and early 30s and started to film them just to see how they translate. If I write this and then I shoot it, how does it translate? Does it all work? And and I just would, every year I would do another short film, another short film. And, um, and then I started writing longer films and feature films. And, uh, and that got me onto to my next projects, yeah, of, of um, my feature film, yeah.
And, and that's what I want to get into. That's a really good segue. So I want to talk really quickly about your directorial debut. And, and, and what I really, really find interesting about this is that you did this all yourself. And um, can you go over, you know, give us the name of the film. It, it, it got critical acclaim. And, and I, I urge people to, if they haven't seen the film, to go see Eastside Sushi. It's, it's, it's an amazing film. And I remember um, I wanted to wait to see it by myself because um uh i i knew a lot of the people that were in the film and and i knew this was your your directorial debut and i said you know what i want to see this for myself and it was absolutely an amazing film and it won 10 10 award at film 10 awards at film festivals and it's got critical acclaim and i know you're working on several other films as well so tell me what the process was that like from beginning to end in terms of writing it producing it uh getting the actors what kind of stress did what kind of stress were you under what how did you fund that it, it was self-funded so I, I wrote the screenplay uh for Eastside sushi it's about a, a latina single mother who wants to become a, a sushi chef and it, it was originally written as a male uh I, I just happened to see this guy washing dishes in the back of this kitchen and i thought oh maybe he wants to be a, a chef eventually and so i started to write that story and I just thought it was a nice, um, I don't know, sort of yin and yang or something of between Latino and Japanese cultures, just sort of both melding together in one film. So I started to write that story. Uh, and then I'd never seen any women do this job ever be, as a sushi chef. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. So uh, I'd already started writing the film as Juan, who wanted Juan, who wanted to become a sushi chef. And I went back home and changed it to Juana. And I thought just those dynamics of racism and sexism in one story, in one place, in a restaurant, in a place that you would never suspect racism and sexism to be in, in a restaurant, you know? And uh, so I started writing that story. And so, but I pitched it around. I pitched it to various studios um, and no, nobody, nobody bit, nobody cared. Nobody was like a Latina. This is, this is before the whole women's movement in film and people of color in film. So it was a little bit ahead of the time. And so nobody wanted to fund this. So I eventually figured out if I, uh, I could cut enough corners, I could rewrite this and make it a little bit cheaper. I'll self-fund it. And I tried to raise money. I couldn't raise any money. Couldn't raise, yeah, it was tough. So uh, ended up just, I saved my money. I didn't have any kids at the time. So I was, was able to save my money and, and just poured it into this, this movie. And it was, um, it was hard. It's very difficult to make a film with, with basically no money. And I had to like, had volunteers, I had to call favors, I had friends in the film industry. And that's the thing, like when you end up working on other people's films for free, you could call those favors later. So I did. It's like, can you come help for a day and, and hold the a boom mic? And uh, so, yeah, I, I pulled all my favors to get this film done. And it was incredibly, incredibly tough. And I don't think anybody suspected the film would do well, not especially me. I, I was like, uh, I think my one, it, this is true, the, the one goal that I had, because we were filming near the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland in, in this little restaurant. And I was like, you know, my one goal for this film is for it to play at the Grand Lake Theater right down the street. That was just, you know, my God, if it played at the Grand Lake Theater where I'd seen all these films, E.T. and Poltergeist and Back to the Future, it's just like every film that was iconic for me in the 80s, I saw at the Grand Lake Theater. And I thought, wow. As I was filming, I was like, if my film played at the Grand Lake Theater and, you know, and then people maybe came here to the restaurant to support the restaurant that I filmed in, that would just be, that would be mind-blowing. And eventually it did. And eventually it played at the Grand Lake Theater and it sold out and it played there over and over and over and did incredibly well. So uh, completely unexpected. Right. I yeah, and it it got picked up by a lot of international film festivals, and you won a lot of yes. a lot of awards, and um, and you had amazing actors in there as well. And how did you choose these actors? Was that difficult? And and when I say you started from beginning to end, it's very interesting to me. You're a kid from East Oakland that nobody really really understood understood or really understood that you could actually reach that dream of becoming a filmmaker one day, and you actually came back. 
to the community you grew up in and actually made a movie in open with mostly uh, open actresses and actors. And how did you do that? Was that a difficult, was that a difficult uh, road for you? Uh, it's incredibly difficult because there's not a whole lot of, I mean, the pool of actors are in LA. So I was trying to keep it local. I was trying to keep it all Bay Area, all Oakland, uh, but it became very difficult. So especially for the lead, the lead actors, I just could not find my lead actress. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna have to go to LA. I don't know how I'm gonna afford this because now we gotta we gotta bring this actress to LA. We gotta house her. Like how I can't afford that. But I had to. This is like the most crucial character in the film. So, but I did. I I, I had a, a casting call in LA. Found my three. I found my two leads there and, and the third actress actor out there in LA. And I had friends that would house them. I had two friends that had a room. And I asked my actors, are you okay with staying in my friend's you know, room? You know, and they're like, okay, we'll do it. And uh, she, uh, Deanna Torres, my lead actress, she believed it. She loved the script. So she believed in it. She's like, I will stay anywhere uh, as long as we make this film. So, and Yutaka uh, Takeuchi was the same way. He was like, I love the script and I'll stay at a friend's house. So, um, so they made it happen. Uh, my crew made it happen. And yeah, without the support of friends and family, it just could not have, could not have been made. And uh, so, so let me ask you this. Um, what is next for you, Mr. Lucero? What is What are your goals in the future? Like, what do you want to do next? I know you have other projects in the work and I have to tell you that, I mean, you're, you're an absolute success story. I mean, as a kid growing up in Oakland and where there is no film industry, really, and you had this dream and you made it happen. You made it happen with hard work. You went to community college. You did what you had to do to make it happen. You, you, you worked for free and, and you're still doing it. And what is what's next for you? What are your goals goals uh to to keep making more more films uh i i had a feature film that we were getting ready to shoot uh, another film that i wrote and this was right uh right when COVID hit and uh i it was somewhat tragic so we spent the whole year of 2020 planning pre-production for my next film and boy COVID just did not go away and it got worse and worse uh, eventually, I lost uh, the funding for that film, so that went away. And I also uh, had a baby at the same time, so I just kind of took a step back and uh, had been with my son. And that's he's kind of uh, I, I don't know everything as far as the future is involved revolves around my boy. And so, and I hear other people talk about that. It's like, oh, okay, come on, it's about, about your family, but it is. It's like it, it's about my son. So I'm just kind of. I've taken a little bit of a step back just to be a dad. And uh, my wife is the one who's like working hard at the moment, but she's fine with it. She's She's got a, a fantastic job. And she's like, you take care of Henry for a little bit. And then when she wants to take a break, then I'll, I'll go back into into directing. But um, but no, I, I have, I, I think by the end of this year, uh, I'll start directing my next feature. But uh, it's weird scheduling, it's a weird time. Um, I don't want any of my actors to get sick. And one of the lead actors is a person with a disability and with a compromised immune system. So that's another reason why I've been pushing. It's like, well, I just want to wait for COVID to go away for a little bit and then we'll start filming this. But let's just uh, hope and pray that so, COVID goes away by the end of this year and we can start filming. So let me ask you this. Do you have any regrets about going into the film industry and is there anything that you would have changed if you were to, if, if you were to give advice to your 10 year old self, what advice would you give? Gosh, uh, wow. Uh, I think my 10 year old self, I would say uh, buy real estate, uh, maybe go into the tech industry because they make tons of money there, but still make films. I would still be a filmmaker no matter what happens. I would still want to, it doesn't matter what other industry, how I made my money. I would still want to be a filmmaker. I'd still want to be a writer and and do that. So, uh, but no, of course, I would tell my ten year old self like invest in real estate for now and make some money and just like do that. And um, you know, maybe I, 
as far as film school, maybe not go to film school. Uh, who, who knows? Go to business school, something like that. And uh, but still, uh, the end goal is still make movies. We, I still love doing that. I will always love doing that. So, 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 how would you? What advice would you give somebody if they wanted to get into the film industry? Uh, as far as film school goes, look, it, it's uh, it's totally dependent on the person. If they need structure, some people need to go to film school. Uh, and they need that push and other kids don't other kids are able to make some fantastic things on TikTok and with their phone and they don't need that push so it's uh it's a total case by case you know individual uh, person but i i, I don't know it, uh, i can't say yes go to film school or don't go to film school uh, but I, I do feel college is important i would say just go to college whatever that is whatever you know go to business school business is important um, and technology is important. Like, you know, learn the computers, internet, that's all, it's never going to go away. So you could learn a trade like that. You can always fall back on it. And what advice would you give somebody if they're going through a difficult time? Going through a difficult time, I would say, um, exercise, uh, don't drink, surround yourself with people who love you. Because I think whenever I go through a difficult time, I want to be alone. And I, I think maybe a lot of people are like that. It's like uh, something tragic has happened. Just leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to just be quiet. Um, and then a, a friend or family member will sneak their way into my life when I didn't want them there. And it's just the best. It's like, God, I needed that person to person contact. I needed to talk about it. I needed to just hang out. I needed to laugh again. So I think uh, when you don't want somebody in your life, if you're going through a hard time and you're depressed, you just want to be alone. Don't be alone. Just be around somebody. Be around friends and um, and exercise. Just going for a walk. Uh, going for a walk will do amazing things in my life. I go for walks every day, and uh, just getting your blood pumping just will do wonders. It's just uh, during the pandemic. I think I was able to stay so sane because uh, a I cut back on the booze. Uh, and B, I worked out and exercised quite a bit during the whole uh, shelter in place. I was still doing jumping jacks in my backyard and uh, and going for runs. And it just does wonders for your life. It really does. So those are key. And let me ask you this: um, Who have you who is who have you met in your life that was amazing? Because you always wanted to meet them, and you, and you finally met that person. Mm -hmm. And who is it that you would like to meet one day? And what would you say to them? <laughs> Who would I like to meet? You know, I, I kind of live by don't meet your heroes. Uh, because when you do meet your heroes, it's like, oh, they're not as phenomenal as I thought. That. I, I don't know if I'd want to meet Paul McCartney. You know, he's just like this person who's like a god. It's like, if I met him in real life, maybe he wouldn't be as amazing as I thought he'd be. But, um, <clears throat> okay, Paul McCartney, I'd love to meet him. But a uh, person I've met, I would say somebody like, like a Phil Tippett. Phil Tippett worked on all the original Star Wars films. He was an animator. He created a lot of the creatures for it. And I worked for his studio, Tippett Studio. And he is an amazing person. He was He's just somebody that I just love and I'm glad I met and I respect. And he just, he's one of those people where if you work for his company, he walks around the company and he knows everybody's name and he treats everybody so like an equal and he's just so great and he doesn't have that ego. And I, I just, he's just somebody that I respect and I would love to kind of live like him as well moving forward. And what is on your, what's left in your bucket list? Bucket list. Uh, gosh, a lot of my bucket list is, revolves around my son Henry now, like moving forward. Like we're just gonna, we're gonna travel uh, with my wife and we're gonna see the world. So Italy, you know, once the world open up, opens up and he gets a little bit older, bucket list is for sure traveling. Um, and it's for sure making some more films. I, my next film, it's, it's sitting right on my computer right here. And, and the bucket list is to check that off. Let's make that film into this year. So, but those are always two keys, travel, seeing different sites and making the next film. Those, those two things are usually on my, my bucket list. And Anthony, I would I want to thank you so so much for being here. Um, I, I could go on with you for a few hours. We don't have a oh, few sure. hours, um, yep. but I want to thank you. I love your story. It, it's so inspirational. Um, when I think about you, it just brings me so much joy because 
you're a guy that grew up in, in, in my neighborhood and where there's a lot of a lot of us weren't able to do much in our life. And you've done amazing things and you're going to continue doing amazing things because of your hard work and your drive. I love that you want to be a good dad. Uh, I, you have so many goals and I know that you're just not going to stop. That's what I love about it. And, and you do it because you're passionate about it. If, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, is there any way they can get a hold of you? Or do you want to talk about really quickly any projects you're working on at all? Um, I'm, I don't really have a big social media presence, uh, but um, gosh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Instagram, I think, I, I, which I'm not even on very, much as well, but I think I'm Aunt Lucero one. Gosh, I should know this stuff. But again, I don't have a big social media presence. And um, what is the name of your what is the name of your film company? It's Blue Sun Pictures, but um, and, yeah. and and they can see your film Eastside Sushi. It's I know it's on on demand. And any any suggestions where they can see it? I think uh, it, it bops around on different platforms. I think it might be on Amazon Prime right now. Eastside Sushi. Um, it's also on. Uh, gosh, I, again, it, it was on Netflix last year, and now it's not on Netflix. Um, but Canopy, Canopy is a great free site um, through through your library. So uh, go on Canopy; you'll find it on there. But most people don't know about Canopy. But boy, it, download the Canopy. It just works like any other streaming service. But download the app. If you have a library card. There's tons of movies, Criterion Collection of films on there. There's a lot of great stuff on Canopy. So download it, and you can watch it there for free. Well, uh, just I want to thank my producer Brian, and I. And I want to, I want our um, audience, they can go ahead and if they like the podcast to go ahead and review it on Apple and Spotify. And we're going to be making some t-shirts and some other stuff. And so I want to thank everyone for being here today. Um, I just have to say again, thank you so, so much, Mr. Anthony Lucero. You're, you're an amazing director, amazing person. You've done amazing things in your life. You have a great, great family. And uh, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Take care. Okay, you too.